recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. If you're new with us, uh, maybe you weren't here last week. Um, and it's your first time here at PCC, or maybe you're tuning in for the first time online. Last week, we kicked off a brand new sermon series entitled Broken. Um, and this series, we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is often a, um, in the sense that it's often in the, in the too hard basket when we come to reading our Bible. Um, if we journey through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus um, and make it to Ecclesiastes, that's probably where, we, where a lot of us fall down to. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult book to, to read in, in many instances. Um, and last week, Hillary took us, took us through um, chapter 1. Um, and this morning, we're, we're looking at chapter 2. Now, um, in case you, you uh, haven't seen the emails, we are encouraging you to pre-read uh, the chapters before you come because a lot of them are quite lengthy um, and we don't have time to go through it. So this morning we're, we're looking at from the, the, the latter part of chapter 1, verse 15, right through chapter 2. So I, I hope and I trust that a lot of you have read it. Um, if not, um, I encourage you to please read it after the service um, as well as chapter 3 for, for next week as well. For the benefit of those who maybe haven't read it, um, I'll give you, a, a, I guess, a brief overview of what happens in chapter 2. Um, the, the teacher, Kohelet, uh, he, he, he embarks on this, almost like this journey, um, and he's searching for uh, meaning, searching for what's worth his while or his effort and his time. In fact, I've titled today's sermon, um, A Search for Meaning. And what he does, in, 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 particularly in chapter 2, is he looks at three key areas in life. He looks firstly at pleasure. He goes on this search to see whether pleasure is worth his while. Is, it, is that something that can last and, and be, be worth the effort? He then looks at wisdom. Is that the solution to everything? Before he then looks at toil. And spoiler alert, when he goes through each of these sections, he, he concludes each section by declaring that it was all meaningless. It was all like chasing after the wind. Nothing seemed to last. Nothing seemed to be worth his while and his effort. Um, and so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to go with him on that journey. Uh, we're going to journey through the, this chapter um, and, and go with him on this search and see how many ways we can relate um, to, to what the teacher searches and what he finds. Um, and this morning, if you're taking notes, we're going to do three things. Firstly, we're going to look at the promises of the search. So we're going to look at what, what is it that these three areas in life Give us an illusion of hope. Why do we sometimes go to these things? Why did the teacher go to these things um, in this search? We're going to look at the brokenness found. What is it that the teacher actually finds when he does this search? And why does he um, conclude that it was all, quote unquote, meaningless? And then we're going to look at the key to hope. In spite of all of that, what kind of hope can we have? So we're looking at the promises, the brokenness found, and the key to hope. So I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to dive into the sermon this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, we thank you that the book of Ecclesiastes is not in the Bible by accident. Um, Lord God, it's um, completely and fully part of your word. And Lord God, we pray that even though it's difficult and there's a lot of things to wrestle with, uh, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will do an amazing work in each and every one of our hearts, that you would help us to see what you're trying to communicate in your word, Lord, and that you would um, help us to, to, to see that this is not a, a book to be skipped over every time. But Lord, there's so much truth and um, wisdom in this book. 
And Father, I pray that you guard my words as well. Help me to be faithful to you um, as, I, as I preach this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's, let's dive in. We're looking at the promises of the search. And this morning, we're, we're going to explore the, the hope that these three areas tend to elicit to those of us who are on that search. What, what, are, what is it about these three areas that makes them somewhat enticing? It's really interesting um, when I was thinking about it was that he, he almost kind of explores not just three segments of life, but really three se- segments of the human experience. He's looking at pleasure, um, which is um, in many ways an experience of the heart. He's looking at wisdom, which is in many ways an application of the mind, um, and toil, which is a work of the hands. So he's looking at the heart, the mind, and the hands as if he's almost searching all facets of the human experience to find this meaning. Um, and let's, let's look at the first one. Let's look at pleasure for a moment. Listen to what he says in, in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. And then he goes on to explain all these material possessions that he's taken for himself. For himself. Hey, he talks about vineyards and gardens. And he's got a lot of people to entertain him. Singers who, who will sing at, at, at his every command. Um, he's got many, um, some commentators refer to it as, as concubines. Here he calls it a harem. I'm not entirely sure what that word means. But he's, he describes all of these things um, as the, the delights of a man's heart. Right? So he's, he's, he's looking at these and he's, he's searching these things. And he's saying, these are things that delight my heart. In fact, a little bit later on, he goes on and says that he denied his heart no pleasure. He, he allowed himself to experience the pleasure of whatever he wanted. And he was pursuing this, this, looking into this area and pursuing it in the search that he would find something that was worth his while, something that was worth, um, worth his time, something that would last, something that didn't disappear like vapor. And so he searches in, 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 in pleasure. He does a similar thing when it comes to wisdom. In, in verse um, 13 of chapter 1, he says, I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. He applied his mind to study, to explore um, with wisdom all the things that we do. And in verse 16 of chapter 1, it says that he increased in wisdom more than any who ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Now we have to understand as well that when the Bible talks about wisdom, um, particularly in the Old Testament, but indeed throughout Scripture, it, it's more than just an intellectual knowledge or an intellectual understanding. Wisdom often in many um, contexts has this, this practical meaning attached to it. It carries this notion of being able to take what you know, which is important, but then apply it into the situations you find yourself in or apply it to how you live your life, how you carry yourself in the various circumstances you're in. And so in essence, what the teacher is doing is he's saying this morning that he, he, he used every, did everything he could to try to understand things better and live a life of wisdom and, and apply what he knew into a right and upright, upright right life. That was his, his search for wisdom. He searched, he explored, he applied his mind to that end. And then briefly, he also, we're also going to look at toil or hard work and see what the promises that brings out. Look at um, verse 4 to 9 again. He, he comments on all the great accomplishments that he's done, the things he's built. He's built vineyards and gardens. He's um, grown a lot of fruit trees and he's got reservoirs of water. He's, he's, done, he's accomplished a lot through all of his hard work. And he, and he says in verse 9 there that he became greater, became far greater than anyone in Jerusalem before me. 
And for some of us, this is, this is an attraction in work. We, we, too, when we work, we, we like to feel like we're, we're making something better. We're improving our world or our industry or the lives of people around us. We, we, we're, we're accomplishing great things. I, I myself, throughout the weeks, so I, I work at a, um, a personal injury law firm. And, and what we do is, is we help people who have been injured at work. Um, or have been in a motor vehicle accident and sustained injuries, or slipped and fell um, you know, at, at a shopping centre and sustained injuries. We help them to, to not only get um, you know, the medical help they need and ensure that you know, it's all paid for, but also compensation and things like that. And for myself and for, one of, uh, for many of my colleagues, a really satisfying outcome is being able to see someone get that help that they need. That even though, yes, money can't bring back um, the, the, the ailments they now have, they're at least able to get that support that can help ease the burden in some way. It feels like we're making the lives of at least just one person a little bit better. In chapter 2, verse 10, he, he talks again about his, his labor. He says, My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Bringing out another, you know, lure or, or attraction work that if we work hard and put our, our efforts in, the things that he talks about, the things he enjoyed, the pleasures he had, was afforded to him as a reward for all his hard work. He was able to, to, to work hard and afford himself all these things as a teacher is finding that to be a, a fruitful outcome as well. And so when we look at these three areas, pleasure, wisdom, and, and hard work or toil, and if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably in a similar boat. I wonder how many of us have experienced a similar attraction to, to one of these things or, or maybe something similar. Again, let's think about even just for us um, who are in the younger generation for a moment. Right? I still consider myself young. I'm only 25. I know I look I'm f- like 40, but it's fine. Um, the younger generation, if, if we're honest, I think is probably the most feelings-driven, instantaneous generations, Right? We live in a culture where um, we, we, we see something, we desire it, we want it, we go get it. We, we, we see that nice new gadget, we see that nice new item of clothing, that new nice car, whatever it is, and we set our hearts, and as the teacher says, we deny our hearts no pleasure that it so desires. We refuse our heart no pleasure. Even at work, again, I work with a lot of young people as well, a lot of people are between 20 and 30, and the common conversation on Friday is, oh, what, what are you doing on the weekend? And without fail, everyone, someone is going to a party on the weekend. Um, and, and their whole week actually is almost like, yes, I can't wait for Saturday night. I'm going to that party. It's going to be so fun. I'm going to get absolutely blind drunk. and It's going to be the best experience in the world. And they wake up on Sunday and Monday and they feel the regret, but they'll do it again and again. Why? Because for, for in some way, that, 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 that rush of excitement satiates or meets a, a need, albeit temporarily, in their hearts. Or what about wisdom, for, for example? Again, we, we live in a culture, I wonder if you've heard this um, saying, where we think that, and we, we, we live as if um, this, with this notion that you know, all the problems in the world will just be solved with more education. If we teach people who are young to live a certain way, to do certain things, to understand things differently, they'll grow up and live in a way, in other words, live with wisdom, and that would alleviate all the problems that we have. There would be no more domestic violence. There would be no more slavery. There would be no more you know, insert whatever um, situation we want. And that might be very, very helpful, but how many of us can then uh, um, identify with a teacher where he's on that search too? He thinks that, well, if I just understood more, if I just was able to put it, take it into my mind and then apply it, I'll be able to live better and the world will be a better place. 
See, whether we realize it or not, that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is just like us as well. On that search for, for meaning and, and, and value and, and finding something that's worth our time and effort. And so we're right there with the teacher this morning. We're right in that search in, in many ways. It might be those three areas. It might be something different. But we're on that search, that search for, for what is worth our while. But if you're anything like me, for some reason, these joys and these satisfactions, they don't seem to last. The parties end. Um, there's a new problem that comes up that we don't know how to, how to live or respond to. The, the, the joys and satisfaction never seem to completely um, satisfy. And that brings us to our second point this morning, that the brokenness found. In each of these three areas, the, the teacher in his search, he finds something in, that, in each of these areas that, that, that really um, rip at his heart. He finds things that he has to wrestle with and no matter how hard he tries, he just, he can't get over. It grieves his heart. It breaks his heart. And so much so, he declares it was all meaningless. It was all futile. It was all not lasting. Look at what the um, teacher says, particularly in regards to wisdom, for example. In his attempts to grow in understanding um, and, and live a life that is right, in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And later on in, in chapter 2, he also says that for the wise, wise like the fool will not long be remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten like the fool. The wise too must die. So death overcomes the, the wise and the fool. And so he's, he's wrestling with these two aspects of his search. He's found that no matter how hard he tries, some things just won't be rectified. Now, I want us to, to pause just for a moment. I wonder if you've experienced that, that sensation, something that's crooked, that just can't be straightened, that can't be fixed no matter how hard you try. Maybe you've lived and done things that you've tried to live right. You've tried to, to, to take what you know about what, how God says to live and how otherwise people tell you you should live and you apply it to a situation, but it just doesn't work out the way you want. I'll give you an illustration from my own life where this happened. Um, probably about a, about a year ago, um, one of the, my, the closest friendships that I had um, at the time broke down due to um, you know, things that were said that weren't meant to be said, um, things that were misunderstood. Um, there was a lot of frustration and tension in that relationship. And at the time, I did what I thought was right. I, I, I unpacked scripture. I was looking to see, okay, how am I supposed to live? What, what does it mean for, for me to live right now in this, in this friendship in a way that honors God? I sought counsel from people who were older than me, people who, who knew life more than I do at age 24, 25. And I, and I tried to live in a, in a way that was wise in that situation in particular. And so I, I thought about things that I need to repent of. I thought about ways to approach different hurts or things that had happened. But unfortunately, the, the reality is that none of that brought about ultimate restoration and healing. No matter how hard I tried to live with wisdom in this particular situation, it still remained crooked. It still remained broken. And, and a year on, it's still very much fractured. And so I found myself like the teacher kind of saying, what's the point? If I had lived in my anger and bitterness and frustration, I would have had the same outcome. The relationship would have been broken. And what does it matter? What's the point of living with wisdom work at the end? Sorry, I think I'm covering it. That's why it keeps 
Um, and so this morning, maybe you've got a similar situation. Maybe you've had a similar experience where there's something in your life that's just, no matter how hard you try to live with wisdom, it just remains crooked. It remains fractured and broken. That's what the teacher is experiencing, that no matter how hard he or others try to live a wise life and do what is right, no matter how hard he tried to live a life that was good and fair and faithful, there were always things that could just not be straightened, things that could not be fixed. Wickedness and unfairness seemed to still be rife in the world around him. Or about pleasure, look at pleasure when he searched there. He sought after everything that he desired and he, he said he denied himself no pleasure. And then he, he, he steps back almost in, in, in chapter 2 verse 11. He almost takes a step back and he surveys his work, he surveys his pleasure and things like that. And he says that, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. That includes all the great riches and things he had accumulated for himself, the things he had created, all the singers and the entertainment things he had to, to seek that pleasure. All of that was part of that. And he's looking and he's saying, it was pointless. Earlier in, in, in chapter 2, um, he describes laughter as madness. Which, you know, if anyone says that to us today, we'll be thinking, oh, well, there's something wrong with that person. But here the teacher says that very explicitly. Um, in verse 2, he said, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? He found that when, when, he, when he, despite the moments of pleasure that he felt in various instances, when he took a step back and looked at his life as a whole, nothing ultimately satisfied. There was no pleasure that lasted deep down within his heart for always, for, forever and always there was still a sense of dissatisfaction that could not be fixed. Everything was fleeting and therefore he declares it was, quote unquote, meaningless. And then lastly, let's look at toil. Well, what does he do when he, when he, when he looks at the, the hard work that he's put in? All the, the 5 a.m. starts that he's had. The time where he's been stuck in traffic, going to work, he's been getting to work early, he's worked so hard for all the things that he's done. And then he recognizes that, no matter how hard he tried, even that wouldn't last because there was coming a time where he would die and he would have to hand it over to someone else. And so he says in, in verse 18, he says, I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Even though he worked maybe long hours, maybe did all kinds of things, eventually he would have to leave all of that to someone else. And the reality of that was that what he says in verse 19, he says, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil. How many of us have heard stories of people who've built great businesses, great corporate empires, they've, they've worked so hard their entire life and they've either had to retire or they've passed away and they've given it over to their, 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 their child or to someone else and within a few years, the whole business just comes crashing down. All that hard work that this man or woman put into this business is now gone. And again, the teacher is recognizing that. He, he, he's recognizing the brokenness there. That no matter how hard he worked and no matter how great he became, even that didn't last. Soon death would overcome him as well, just like it would to the, the person. Whether he was hardworking or lazy, he was going to die and pass away eventually. Whether he, he accomplished a lot or very little, he was going to pass away and hand over whatever he had to someone else. And he declares that it was fleeting, it was meaningless, it was Havel, as the, the initial language puts it. Now, I wonder if you 
I feel a similar way this morning. I wonder if you too, maybe you've experienced the brokenness and the flaws in this, in this world. And it's frustrating. It's disappointing. No doubt at times you've, you've probably felt like this continual pursuit after something and, and you seem like you're almost about to get it and it just disappears like vapor in your hand. For you, it might be pleasure, wisdom, work. For, for others of us, it might be something else. Maybe it's the continual pursuit of affirmation or relationships or status or wealth or whatever it may be. We're, we're all in some way, I think, pursuing things in our hearts if we're honest with ourselves. But I wonder if you've ever felt that sense of no matter how hard you pursue it, it disappears. It can never be grasped. I wonder if you felt the futility of these things as if you're chasing the wind. Friends, if that's, if that's you this morning, where do we go? What, what, what do we do? If we're, we're on this journey and we've been lured in with these similar promises like the teacher and yet we're feeling and seeing the brokenness and the, the futility of all the things that we chase, well, what kind of hope can we have? And that brings us to our third point, the, the key to hope. As we've journeyed through these one, one and a bit chapters, we, we've seen at length this pursuit that the, the teacher goes, through, goes to. And, and he's pursuing the, the, that um, meaning or satisfaction that will make him feel like, okay, this is worth my while. This is not fleeting. This will actually last. And he's found the brokenness and he's frustrated and he's, and he's, he's disappointed. He's crushed. But I wonder if you've seen the, the deep longing that's underneath each of the, the declarations he makes. See, the teacher bemoans the fact that no matter how hard he tries to live a good and upright life, things will, are still crooked and, and, and not right or unjust. No matter how well he keeps his body in check, at the end of the day, death is going to ravage him as well. No matter how hard he tries, he's, he's finding that nothing lasts forever. He's searched in meaning and, and giving his heart to the things that he desired. He's searched in wisdom and applying his mind to, to everything that he does. He's taught, looked at his hard work and he's seen the works that his hands have made and he realizes that it's all fleeting and nothing lasts. But underneath it, what the teacher is really longing for is a time and a place where there are no crooked paths. He's longing for a time where, where death doesn't destroy where work isn't this painful, grievous task that disappears just like that. And what's interesting, some Bible commentators note, if you look at chapter 2, listen to verse 4 to 6 um, again, I'll read it out. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. It's interesting that some, some Bible commentators, they, they, they look at this and they, they look at the, what he's describing and they, and, and they notice that he's talking about things like planting gardens and vineyards and growing trees. And these words, in fact, D.A. Carson in his commentary, he, 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 see, he notes that these words appear somewhere else in Scripture together, way back in Genesis 1, when God planted the Garden of Eden, when God created this place where there was rivers, where there was fruit trees, where there was plants and trees and all kinds of um, nice, nice environment to, to, to live in. And D.A. Carson says that it's almost as if the, the teacher is trying to recreate that in the works that he does, except God's not in the picture. 
Interestingly, in the, in the entire, entirety of chapter 2 up until um, the end in verse 24, there's not a single mention of God in that search at all. He's been searching for meaning, but, but God's not even in the picture. And, and it's interesting to note that it, what he's actually longing for, what, what he's actually wanting beneath all the things that he's bemoaning and, and, and feeling the frustration of is that which was lost in Genesis 3, in the fall. See, in the garden before the fall, there was no injustice. There was no sense of lacking. There was no em- emptiness, no pain or grief or strife. There was no death. The world that the teacher longs for, and indeed the world that would satiate his restless and frustrated heart, is a type of world that was lost in Genesis 3. And ever since that moment in time when sin entered the world and our world fractured and there was, we were subjected to the curse, as we're told in Genesis 3, and, and work became toilsome and there was frustration, there was strife in relationships, ever since that time, all of humanity has experienced this same brokenness that the teacher has experienced. See, deep within every one of our hearts, I believe, is this sense that we feel that something isn't right, that this world isn't as it should be. And whilst for some seasons this feeling might be dulled when we're enjoying the highs of life, the, the, the great things in, in life, that this might be dulled, all it takes is one sickness, one pandemic, one lost job, one lost loved one, a broken relationship, a harsh word from someone that we care deeply about. All it takes is one brush with, with this brokenness and we come crashing back down to earth. And we remember that there is still there is something that's not right in this world. We feel as though the world should be different, and yet even that feels so unattainable. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, on the next slide. That's all right. Um, he says that our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, To be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. In other words, we feel that there's this something that's that's futile. We feel the the fleetingness of life and the things that um, we we do and and the, the, the situations we're in. And that longing for it to not be like that is not just wishful thinking. It's not just pie in the sky kind of thinking. It's, it's the truest sense of, of, of our reality, that we have been cut off from something that we weren't made to be cut off from. We're all bitterly grieving that which was lost in the fall. And the teacher in our passage reaches that point too as well. And so what do we do? What do we do if we're in that space? Maybe if Jeff and the, the team want to jump up. What do we do if, if we find like we're, we're with the teacher and we feel that sense of fleetingness and futility, what do we do? Well, the teacher, he, he, he responds, he concludes chapter 2 in verse 24. Listen to what the teacher says. He says, A person can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? He, he, he brings God back into the picture. And he makes this conclusion that, interestingly, he doesn't say that we should not pursue pleasure. He doesn't say that wisdom is not worth time at all. He doesn't say that we should be lazy and not work. He doesn't condemn these things themselves, but he puts them into the context of recognizing that all these things come from the hand of God. 
And he recognizes that that's, that's the best that he could do was to recognize that these things he enjoys, the, 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 the joys of life that he has was given to him but from the hand of God. But friends, this morning, we know something that the teacher didn't know fully back then. Because a thousand years after this book was written, Jesus Christ, the ultimate wise one, the one who had no crookedness in him, came to this earth. And Jesus was found in a garden, in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he was, or the night that he was arrested. And in that garden, Jesus did something that Adam and Eve didn't. Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3, they said, no, God, I don't want your ways. I want to do it my way. But Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane said, nah, not my way, Father, but your, your will be done. Jesus stood firm where Adam and Eve fell down. And so this morning, we, we, we have that, that, that great truth to reflect on. That that will that Jesus submitted to completely led him to a cross. And on that cross, Jesus died for the sins of the world. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus became the curse. Jesus became that which has, has frustrated humanity since Genesis 3. Jesus took that on the cross. And on the cross, he, he, he continued to surrender the will of the Father. And he declared it was finished, it was accomplished. And he died. He died and was risen, raised life three days later. And because of his death and resurrection, Jesus has created a way for the ultimate effect of the fall to be rectified. The, the brokenness and the separation between us and God to be restored. He's created a, a way for each and every one of us to be welcomed into the family. And so this morning, unlike the teacher who longs for a garden in the past, we can long for a garden that's to come. Because Revelation tells us that there's coming a time where this world is going to pass away, where we're going to be with God for all eternity. And in that place, there's going to be a place where rivers are flowing, where there's trees that bear fruit in each and every season of the year. And it says that there, was, there will be no curse. The curse was not to be found in that place. Friends, that is our hope. When we live in that posture that recognizes that, yes, it's tough. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's frustrating. But there is coming a time where we will not experience this anymore. Friends, when we realize that even this world is fleeting, the entirety of the existence of this world will eventually pass away. But what will not pass away is the eternal, eternal hope that we have. We get to spend eternity with Jesus where there's no more pain. There's no more crooked paths. There's no more brokenness, no more death, no more strife. And when we live our lives with that in focus, we'll there find the strength to endure the fleetingnessness, if I can use that word, of this world. That when strife and brokenness and trouble come our way, we can stand firm because we know that yes, it hurts. And yes, it's a very real pain, but there is coming a time where it won't be any longer. And so I invite you guys to, to bow your heads. I'm going to pray and finish up this morning. And maybe for some of you, it's about coming back and reflecting on that. No matter where you are in life, you're recognizing that things have been tough, but you need to refocus your gaze again. Refocus your gaze on what Jesus has done. He is the hero of this story, ultimately. He's the one that has accomplished for us what no one else could ever do. Because through Him, restoration is coming. The brokenness, the curse is passing away. And we're going to spend eternity with Him. 
So I'm gonna give you a moment just to reflect, to, to bring your heart before God. And then I'm gonna pray. Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.